Book Two, Chapter Two, of Robert Falconer, by George Macdonald. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two, The Stroke. The following night, he left his books on the table and the house itself behind him, and sped like a greyhound to Dubalsany's shop, lifted the latch, and entered. By the light of a single dip set on a chair, he saw the shoemaker seated on his stool, one hand lying on the lap of his leather apron, the other hand hanging down by his side, and the fiddle on the ground at his feet. His wife stood behind him, wiping her eyes with her blue apron. Through all its accumulated dirt, the face of the shoemaker looked ghastly, and they were eyes of despair that he lifted to the face of the youth as he stood holding the latch in his hand. Mrs. Alexander moved towards Robert, drew him in, and gently closed the door behind him, resuming her station like a sculptured mourner behind her motionless husband. "'What on arse the matter with you, Sandy?' said Robert. "'Eh, Robert,' returned the shoemaker, and a tone of affection tinged the mournfulness with which he uttered the strange words. "'Eh, Robert, the Almighty will go on his own gate, and I'm in his group now.' He's had a stroke, said his wife, without removing her apron from her eyes. I have gotten my blows, resumed the shoemaker, in a despairing voice, which gave yet more effort to the fantastic eccentricity of conscience, which, from the midst of so many grave faults, chose such a one as especially bringing the divine displeasure upon him. I have gotten my blows for crying doing my own old wife to set up your bonny lady. The one's gone all to ashes and dust, and from the other, he went on looking down on the violin at his feet, as if it had been something dead in its youth, and from the other, I cannot draw a sound, for my right hand has forgotten her cunning. Man, Robert, I cannot lift it from my side. You mount go on to your bed, said Robert, greatly concerned. Oh, ay, I maun go on to my bed, and sign to the kirkyard, and sign to hell. Can that wheel enough? Robert, I leave my fiddle to you. Be good to the old wife, man, better nor I have been, and old wife's better nor nay fiddle. He stooped, lifted the violin with his left hand, gave it to Robert, rose, and made for the door. They helped him up the creaking stair, got him half undressed, and laid him in his bed. Robert put the violin on the top of a press, within sight of the sufferer, left him groaning, and ran for the doctor. Having seen him set out for the patient's dwelling, he ran home to his grandmother. Now, while Robert was absent, occasion had arisen to look for him. Unusual occurrence, a visitor had appeared, no less a person than Mr. Innes, the schoolmaster. Shargar had been banished in consequence from the parlour, and had seated himself outside Robert's room, never doubting that Robert was inside. Presently he heard the bell ring, and Betty came up the stair, and said Robert was wanted. Thereupon Shargar knocked at the door, and as there was neither voice nor hearing, opened it, and found with the well-known horror that he had been watching an empty room. He made no haste to communicate the fact. Robert might return in a moment, and his absence from the house not be discovered. He sat down on the bedstead and waited. 
but betty came up again and before shargar could prevent her walked into the room with her candle in her hand in vain did shargar entreat her to go and say that robert was coming betty would not risk the danger of discovery and connivance and descended to open afresh the fountain of the old lady's anxiety she did not however betray her disquietude to mr innes she had asked the schoolmaster to visit her in order that she might consult him about robert's future mr innes expressed a high opinion of the boy's faculties and attainments and strongly urged that he should be sent to college mrs falconer inwardly shuddered at the temptation to which this course would expose him but he must leave home or be apprenticed to some trade she would have chosen the latter i believe but for religion towards the boy's parents who would never have thought of other than a profession for him while the schoolmaster was dwelling on the argument that he was pretty sure to gain a good bursary and she would thus be relieved for four years probably forever from further expense on his account robert entered where have ye been robert asked mrs falconer at dubal sanny's answered the boy what have ye been at there helping him till his bed what come o'er him a stroke that's what comes of playing the fiddle i never heard of a stroke coming from a fiddle granny it comes from a clued whiles if he had holden till his fiddle he would have been playing her the night in place of arm lying at his side and shoemaker's thread hm, said his grandmother concealing her indignation at this freedom of speech he did not believe in god's judgments not upon fiddles returned robert mr innes sat and said nothing with difficulty concealing his amusement at the passage of arms it was within the last few days that robert had become capable of speaking thus his nature had at length arrived at the point of so far casting off the incubus of his grandmother's authority as to assert some measure of freedom and act openly his very hopelessness of a hearing in heaven had made him indifferent to things on earth and therefore bolder thus strange as it may seem the blessing of god descended on him in the despair which enabled him to speak out and free his soul from the weight of concealment but it was not despair alone that gave him strength on his way home from the shoemakers he had been thinking what he could do for him and had resolved come of it what might that he would visit him every evening and try whether he could not comfort him a little by playing upon his violin so that it was loving-kindness towards man as well as despair towards god that gave him strength to resolve that between him and his grandmother all should be above board from henceforth not upon fiddles robert had said but upon them at plays them returned his grandmother nay nor upon them at burns them returned robert impudently it must be confessed for every man is open to commit the fault of which he is the least capable but mrs falconer had too much regard to her own dignity to indulge her feelings possibly too her sense of justice which falconer always said was stronger than that of any other woman he had ever known as well as some movement of her conscience interfered she was silent and robert rushed into the breach which his last discharge had effected and i want to tell ye granny that i mean to go on and play the fiddle to poor sanny ilka night for the best part of an oor 
and except ye lock the door and hide the key, I will go on. The poor sinner shall not be deserted by God and man both. He scarcely knew what he was saying before it was out of his mouth, and as if to cover it up, he hurried on. And there's more in it. Dr. Anderson gave Shargar and me a sovereign the piece, and double Sanny have them to hold him on dead of hunger and cold. What for did not ye tell me at Dr. Anderson had given ye such a sight of silver? It was ill far to ye, and him as weel. Cause ye would have sent it back to him, and Shargar and me thought we would rather keep it. Considering that I'm at same muckle expense with ye both, it would not have been ill contrived to have brought the silver to me, and let me do with it as I thought fit. Go on now away, laddie, she added, as she saw Robert about to leave the room. I'll be back in a minute, Granny, returned Robert. He's a fine lad, that, said Mr. Innes, and good'll come of him, and that'll be heard, tell of. If he had but the grace of God, there would not be muckle to complain of, acquiesced his grandmother. There's time enough for that, Mrs. Falconer. You cannot get old heads upon young shoulders, you can. Deed, for that matter, you may get money and old head upon old shoulders, and nae spark of grace in it to let it see who to lay itself down in the grave. Robert returned before Mr. Innes had made up his mind as to whether the old lady intended a personal rebuke. Hey, Granny, he said, going up to her and putting the two sovereigns in her white palm. He had found some difficulty in making Shargar give up his, else he would have returned sooner. What's this of it, laddie? said Mrs. Falconer. Hoots, I'm nae going to take your siller. Let the poor shoemaker creatures have it but do not give them more nor a shilling or two at once, just to hold them in life. They deserve have more, but they ma not starve. And just ye tell them, laddie, as if they spend a sixpence of it upon whiskey, they's getting nae more. Ay, ay, granny, responded Robert, with a glimmer of gladness in his heart. And what about the fiddling, granny? He added, half playfully, hoping for some kind concession therein as well. But he had gone too far. She vouchsafed no reply, and her face grew stern with offence. It was one thing to give bread to eat, another to give music and gladness. No music but that which sprung from effectual calling, and the perseverance of the saints, could be lawful in a world that was under the wrath and curse of God. Robert waited in vain for a reply. "'Go on your ways,' she said at length. Mr. Innes and me has some business to make and end of, and we want nae assistance. Robert rejoined Shargar, who was still bemoaning the loss of his sovereign. His face brightened when he saw its well-known yellow shine once more, but darkened again as soon as Robert told him to what service it was now devoted. It's my own, he said with a suppressed expostulatory growl. Robert threw the coin on the floor. Take your filthy lucre, he exclaimed with contempt, and turned to leave Shargar alone in the garret with his sovereign. Pob! Shargar almost screamed. Take it, or I'll cut my throat. This was his constant threat when he was thoroughly in earnest. Cut it, and have done with it, said Robert cruelly. Shargar burst out crying. Lend me your knife, then, Bob, he sobbed, holding out his hand. Robert burst into a roar of laughter. 
caught up the sovereign from the floor, sped with it to the baker's, who refused to change it because he had no knowledge of anything representing the sum of twenty shillings except a pound note, succeeded in getting silver for it at the bank, and then ran to the shoemaker's. After he left the parlour, the discussion of his fate was resumed, and finally settled between his grandmother and the schoolmaster. The former, in regard of the boy's determination to befriend the shoemaker in the matter of music as well as of money, would now have sent him at once to the grammar school in Old Aberdeen to prepare for the competition in the month of November, but the latter persuaded her that if the boy gave his whole attention to Latin till the next summer, and then went to the grammar school for three months or so, he would have an excellent chance of success. As to the violin, the schoolmaster said, wisely enough, He that will to Cupar, mount to Cupar, and if ye intercept him upon the shore road, he'll take to the hill road, and as warrant a braw lad like Robert will get money an own in Aberdeen, will be ready enough to give him a lift with the fiddle and maybe take him into war company nor the poor bedridden shoemaker and will you on me to hang on to the tail of him like he cannot go on o'er the cliff afore he learns wit hm was the old lady's comprehensive response it was further arranged that robert should be informed of their conclusion and so roused to effort in anticipation of the trial upon which his course in life must depend Nothing could have been better for Robert than the prospect of a college education. But his first thought at the news was not of the delights of learning, nor of the honorable course that would ensue, but of Eric Erickson, the poverty-stricken, friendless descendant of Jarls and sea-rovers. He would see him, the only man that understood him. Not until the passion of this thought had abated did he begin to perceive the other advantages before him. But so practical and thorough was he in all his proposals and means, that ere half an hour was gone, he had begun to go over his rudiments again. He now wrote a version or translation from English into Latin, five times a week, and read Caesar, Virgil, or Tacitus every day. He gained permission from his grandmother to remove his bed to his own garret, and there, from the bedstead at which he no longer kneeled, he would often rise at four in the morning. Even when the snow lay a foot thick on the skylight, Kindle, his lamp by means of a tinder-box and a splinter of wood, dipped in a sulphur, and sitting down in the keen coal, turned half a page of Addison into something as near Ciceronian Latin as he could effect. This would take him from an hour and a half to two hours, when he would tumble again into bed, blue and stiff, and sleep till it was time to get up and go to the morning school before breakfast. His health was excellent, else it could never have stood such treatment. End Book 2 Chapter 2